the city, baby. When you see us, so you know you really viewing greatness in the making. Double up on facts, we stating. Podcasting, cruise control, city, state, the nation. So what you saying? What we saying? Prime information. Facts, keys to the city. We unlocking the statements. Streaming every Friday. And ladies and gentlemen, Clovercrest Media presents Keys to the City. We are streaming on all social media platforms at Keys to the City. So subscribe, comment, share, and like. And also, we have the Joseph Aguirre. And you can follow him at Joseph Aguirre, or podcaster, Joe, I should say, on Twitter, as well as Clovercrest Media. You can check us out. President and Ted Singer. Ted Singer, his garbage. Ted, are you actually getting the words right when you're singing this song? Even Jim said it. You don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> remember, remember, um, Vanilla Ice and Teenage Mutant Ninja. Teenage Mutant Ninja. Ninja. Go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go. Go Ninja. No, actually, I was um trying to share. People probably wonder every time we start to show off. My head's always down, like I'm, like I'm depressed or something. But no, actually, I'm trying to share it to a bunch of the groups. Um, I know what you're doing. It's actually kind of funny because I looked down just now at the screen live thing and we're a little bit delayed on Facebook, but Joe's laughing at me. <laughs> well, no one circles the leadership table like the Joseph Aguirre, not the Buffalo Bills, the Joseph Aguirre. But we just talked about it the other day. The NFL schedule week one, we talked about me and Ted got into it briefly, looked like the games. There's a great slate of games week one. Well, we got the official games for all 32 teams. And we all know that the game that we've been desperately waiting for that will will appear and happen this year is the return of Tom Brady going back to Gillette Stadium. Now, there's always amazing games every year. There's games like Lamar against Mahomes again. We're going to have the Chiefs and Bills. You're going to have the Bucks and Bills. You're going to have all these types of great games. You're going to have the number one versus number two pick later in the year. You get the return of uh, Cam going against the Panthers, Sam Darnold against the Jets. There's a lot of great Mahomes games. Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers, which is hell. Really done. And hell, even week one starts off with the Browns against the Chiefs, which we talked about as maybe one of the better games of the entire season, starting off right off the bat. But to me, this is plain. It's very simple. It's self-explanatory. This is, to me, the most interesting game. We've been waiting for this for over a year now. We're going to get the reunion back. Or not reunion. We're going to see the return of the Tom Brady going back to the home that he created with Bill Belichick in Gillette Stadium. I can't wait. The tickets say that people can't wait. Good luck with trying to buy a ticket because those are going like hotcakes. And if you got money, well, then that's the game for you. Other than, Vegas, other than going to a Vegas Raider game, this is the game that will be the highest paid game. So I'm going to ask you guys, you already heard from me, and then we'll get back into it. We'll talk more about the games as well. We'll talk about Big Blue's schedule. How do we feel about it? And then we'll also we'll talk about, we've been saying the two best pitchers are in New York. But as Garrett Cole emerged as the best pitcher with his recent dominance, especially Wednesday night against the Rays, and a hell of a performance, we'll talk about that. But to me, this is the most interesting game of the season. Ted, I'll start with you. Do you have another game? If so, I want to know it. But if this is it, give me your take on what you think about this. I mean, other than every game of the Giants play during the season, yeah, this is the most interesting game for me. Um, how could it not be? I mean, you literally have a legend versus a legend. Coach versus quarterback. I mean, you couldn't probably ask for a better matchup. Realistically, it's going to be on Sunday night football. It'll mm -hmm. probably, without question doubt, be the most viewed game. Other um, than Super Bowl, probably. Oh, no, I would say, I'm telling you, it's going to rank up there like close to Super Bowl, maybe, I think. Or at least uh, conference championship games. That's the type of population uh, popularity I think this game is going to have. 
How could it not be? I mean, the Bucks, which is funny because you think about this, the Bucks, you look at them as like a second-class citizen. You're like, who the hell is the Tampa Bay Bucks, right? And then all of a sudden, Tom Brady goes there, and they're like America's team. Like everyone loves the Bucks. It's like, yeah. Well, we, we know how we know how fans will work nowadays. I mean, hey, listen, you know, good for him. Like more and more. All the non-existent Patriot fans are gone, and now the new Buccaneer fans that are coming out of the. Well, I mean, I'll put it this way: in a similar sense of basketball, LeBron James has a similar effect. Now, he didn't do that when he went to the Lakers because the Lakers brand was already significant. But when he went to Cleveland, I mean. You don't know Cleveland right now. You don't even know they have a basketball team. But when you did, they were on national television every week. Mm-hmm. So it speaks volumes to who these guys are. And they, listen, NFL. I think the NFL does a tremendous job every year of putting the schedule together. Now, yeah, you can complain. Why is this team on the road three weeks in a row? Why does this team play five division games at the end of the season? But I think they do a great job. Trevor, you mentioned a bunch of the games. Listen, the league knows what's going on. And, I, and here's another good thing. I don't know if you realize this. We didn't talk about this the other day. You want to know how smart the NFL is? There's two 4 o'clock games on week one on Fox. It's the Saints and the Packers, which will be the game of the week. That'll be Joe Buck and Troy. But the other 4 That could be games, totally different with all the But the four, other 4 o'clock game is the Giants-Denver. Mm-hmm. And what we've speculated for the past weeks is Denver's the front runner to get Aaron Rodgers. So that could easily be Troy and Joe Buck could be doing week one game of the week at Giant Stadium at Denver. So the NFL kind of backed themselves up. They know exactly what they did. I think they did a great job. And, and I mean, you look at it, Trevor, we talked about before. You get Carolina Jets week one. I mean, you're going to have Mahomes playing Rodgers this year if he's in Green Bay. And they've never played against each other. So, and listen, we don't care who's playing. We love football, right? So, you know, it could be – I mean, other than Jacksonville and Texans playing each other, I think everyone is going to enjoy whoever is playing this year because I think the Bengals are going to be an interesting team. Joe Burrow coming back, the Browns, there's a lot of good teams. There's a lot of question marks with a lot of teams too. So uh, I don't have any specific game other than that game that you had mentioned that really, you know, you're like, I can't miss that game. Joe? Well, you know, there's actually two 1 o'clock games. Week one, I would not normally be interested in, but will be this time around. Number one is that that Jets-Panthers game. Um, and I don't think that was an accident that that happened in week no. one. I mean, right? Again, the brilliance of the NFL. You get to – I mean, look, that's a big week for the Jets because if Sam Darnold beats them, <laughs> oh, he, plays, boy. he plays well doing it too. The other game, the other game, I think also was a nice gifter is Jacksonville getting Houston in week one. The NFL certainly wanted to make sure that uh, the poster boy gets gets an easy shot at a week one win. So, yeah. So, yeah, look, saw it not lost on me, though, that that I was like, I wonder. Oh, yeah, of course they did. Uh, the only th- the only thing they could have done Jacksonville a bigger favor doing is if they could have scheduled Jacksonville to play Jacksonville. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I like all these games. Look, there's a lot of games that we talked about. Specifically, one of the games on Wednesday was the Browns against the Chiefs, and I think that's an awesome matchup. And Ted didn't like the fact that they were playing right off the bat week one. Me, personally, I said I loved it. I think this is the way to do it for the Cleveland Browns because if it's the Cleveland Browns, if this is the year that we, th- that we all – maybe anticipate that the Cleveland Browns are going to be the team that maybe could win the AFC. Well, then I want to see them go against the best team in the AFC the past three seasons that have been representing the AFC for the past three seasons in the Super Bowl or gotten to an AFC title game, two of them in the last two, they get to the Super Bowl. 
That's what I come down to. I know Ted was like, I'd rather see them in like week five or six, get them. No, I want to see a healthy Cleveland Brown team against a healthy Kansas City Chiefs team. I want to see that defensive line of, of Cleveland versus that new revamped offensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs. I want to see Mahomes against that defense. I want to see that, and I want to see how good Baker Mayfield, the last time we saw Cleveland against um, uh, Kansas City, it came down to the wire, came down to a fourth down in which, uh, was it, Chad Henney made the biggest play of his life. I want to see that again. I want to see that game again because the Cleveland Browns had a great opportunity to win it. Yes, I know that Patrick Mahomes got injured in that game, but still, they had an opportunity, and if it's time for Cleveland to finally say, hey, this is it, we're here to, we're here to stay, well, guess what? It's put up or shut up now because you're playing against Kansas well, City. Week yeah, but week one, that week one is a joke because it doesn't tell you anything of what this team is about. Because if if that was true, then the Giants were a garbage team last year. You didn't want to play the Giants at the end of the season. They were a much better team. Now yeah. a lot of now a lot of has to do with the pandemic. I agree with you, and I know what you're saying. But here's what I'm saying: Chiefs and Mahomes since he's been in his 12 and 0 in the month of September. He's got 32 touchdowns and no picks. Andy Reid doesn't lose off a bye. He's got a long bye right now to prepare for the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are going to have nine new starters week one. You're not going to get familiarized in your defense to be ready. The reason why I say this here is the Chiefs are going to win the game. The Chiefs are going to beat the Browns, and they're going to beat them easily. Because look at the last two years the Browns and Baker Mayfield played. I told you the other day. You told me it was, it was 41-13 against the Ravens, and the year before it was 31-6. They had lost in the – in their week one games, and they've lost 17 straight week one games, Cleveland Browns, going back to whatever, 17 weeks minus 2000, what, 2004. With that being said, if they play week eight or week nine on a Monday night football game, Sunday night football, that Cleveland Browns, and I'm only speaking as a Cleveland Brown fan, if I, and I'm not a Cleveland Brown fan, you'd rather play week eight or nine when your team has built some um, camaraderie and unity and your defense is much more familiarized with the new scheme. When you have nine new starters, it's really hard to be on the same page week one. That's all I was saying. I agree with you. It's going to be a great game. Great test right off the bat. I think we the Giants learned a lot about Pitts, about themselves last year against Pittsburgh because I think if Giants were playing Pittsburgh later in the season, Giants beat Pittsburgh. But the Pittsburgh Steelers took advantage of the Giants' new team, new coaching staff, new roster, no, a new pandemic. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. The, the advantage of playing week one versus week eight, you got a new coach. You know, do the, what team also gets off on a good start, too? We also know teams that start out, you know, 2, 3, 4, and 0 oh, have a higher percentage of making the playoffs and teams start 0-2, oh 0-3. Oh but I will say this. I like the Giants' first four or five games. Very likely that they can start out 4-1. and one. Joe, how, how do you feel? Uh, I got a couple of games I, I want to just sort of highlight. First of all, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, obviously the Lions are, are are playing. They'll be hosting the Bears. So we will see Justin Fields on Turkey Day uh, would, would be my Justin guess. Fields week one. Never know. Listen, when, by, by Thanksgiving, safe bet. Uh, yeah. And, I again, I think the NFL kind of had that in mind. Giants at the link. Day after Christmas, love it. Uh, and the last week of the season, January second, um, I like this one. Jags, Pats. Uh, Mac Jones should be in place by then for the Patriots if he's not already. Him and him and Lawrence going at it uh, in the final week of the season. I think that'll be really cool. Interesting uh, week eighteen, boy. If the NFC is what we think it's going to be, Giants, Washington, Dallas, Philly. Uh, just like last year, 
we'll yep. do it all over again. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, them Eagles don't tank on us uh, and get us for a third time in a calendar year. So I'm so I'm glad you brought up the Giants because let's talk about the Giants' big blue schedule. And this is a new look big blue team. Last year, Ted, you kind of just said that. Well, the Giants were a bad team last year. Yeah, well, everybody knew that coming into the season when you, we were talk, when we were comparing the Cleveland Browns. Everybody thinks Cleveland's a Super Bowl type team this year. I think we can all agree on that, that they should be one of the favorites coming into the season for what the moves they made in the draft and in the offseason. But look at Big Blue now. Let's look at, talk about the New York Giants, a new-look New York Giants team offensively, adding Kenny Galladay, adding Kadarius Toney. They're getting Saquon back. They stay put with the offensive line. Now, we don't know if they're going to make any more moves in the free agency class. There's still a player like Trey hey, Turner available. Have you seen – I'm going to interrupt because I, I, I know you're probably not going to get to it. You see the Giants are bringing in Kelvin Benjamin, yeah, I, I wide receiver, and, and Corey Clement. Yeah, I knew that. All right. Well, you probably I weren't going to. I see everything that you know. Oh, I what's that? You don't like that? Bring extra information. You know, Just because you, you know it doesn't mean everyone else knows it. So, do you know that? Fair. I I did know about um, Kelvin Benjamin. I did not know. Um, I know I didn't. Which I didn't know the, that he was on the what the Eagles or uh, roster a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. And yeah. Trevor, where did he play from? Corey Komet. Oh, Wisconsin. Good job. Come on, man! Stop that. You gotta stop. I doing also. That. Also, didn't realize he was from Wisconsin. Wisconsin, they breed so new running backs. They breed great thank running. Thank you, Ted. Thank you for bringing me breaking info that I didn't have already. <laughs> you learn something new every day with the keys. Well, me and Jeff play this game all the time. We'll just name a player and be like, Kelvin Benjamin, where are you from? And he's like, Oh, Florida State. Florida State. Florida State caught the touchdown pass against Auburn in the national championship from Jameis Winston. Last game ever in the BCS era, too. By the way, until they went to the college football playoff. Come on, what is this? Is this a trivia segment? I love it. Uh-oh. Listen, we, we, we could do a trivia segment. I think that would be an interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, we and Ted got to somehow get onto that trivia game with you guys. You guys play sports and enter to, and movies. And yeah. Football. You, you want in on that? And even wrestling? Oh, hell yeah. We would Jace, dominate. You would dominate. We would Jace, are you, Jace, are you are, uh, Jace is watching. Jace, it, it sounds like... Uh, sounds like these here Keys boys want a piece of uh, Jace's big brain battle. Wait, is there really a trivia game? Yeah, is there really a trivia game that you guys do? Yeah. Yes. Oh, by the so listen, so week one, it was me and Sean Scanlon. We took on uh we took on uh, uh, Lucas Balduck uh from then, posting up and Isaiah Groves and we smoked him. Smoked him. But then oh, we faced yeah. sports talk with R and J. Steve and, and Justin, dude. You mean it goes to me. Our schedules don't, you know, our, our schedules are, do not intertwine with everybody's schedules. I work me and Ted both work at night. <laughs> Trevor thinks everyone else goes to bed at seven o'clock. I guess we can do stuff at night. What are you talking about? Rob, Rob, Rob and I do our show um, Mondays to like midnight. We're on the air. You want to do it? At, you want to do it at two o'clock in the morning? Be my guest. We could do that. I don't know. Who's yeah, right. Watching, I'm pretty but... sure nobody's going to be doing a show at two o'clock in the morning, but yeah, we're the type of guys that love that trivia stuff. So the giants, let me get back to the giants. But we will try to get to that trivia thing. Hey, I, love- I, hey, I guess what? I got a trivia question. You know, tell you a little something. Last time the Giants played Denver opening season, 2001, four days before September 11th. Did they win that oh, game? They, they, it was, oh, God, what was the score? 20 to 18 or something like that. I remember that game. Four days. I remember it's that. It's crazy. But like, yeah. you, you think about this team. This is a team that coming into the season, 
it's a wide open division. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what Dak Prescott being back, the, the Washington team getting Fitzpatrick and that defensive line, that young, energetic defensive line that's very good and looks like it's going to be very dominant for quite some time with Washington. They got something special brewing with that D-line. And then you got Philly, who's kind of in the midst of a rebuild confusion mode because they don't know what they want to do if Jalen Hurts is their guy. So this is a wide open division. When you look at the start of it, there's some winnable games right off the bat. The Giants could start off well over 500, three and two, four and one in the first five. Ted, you were saying they're talented enough. They have one of the better defenses, younger defenses, I should say, as well in the league. Signing, re-signing Leonard Williams. They do a great job in the draft. They add easy illusion right, to another pass rusher. But it all comes down for me, and we've been saying this, I can't say it enough, and we've talked about it on John About the G-Man, we've talked about it on Keys of the City, we've talked about it on all the sports shows, and, and they talk about it all the time. It, it all comes down to Daniel Jones. I don't care what the schedule is. We could have the toughest schedule. We could be the, it could be the easiest schedule. If Daniel Jones doesn't play to his part and to his potential, where some people say he is a franchise quarterback, then it doesn't matter how good the Giants are going to, it doesn't good how many, how talented the Giants are. They're not going to be a good team if Daniel Jones can't stay on the field on top of it and with his inconsistent play. Do you guys feel the same way that it, it's 100% it comes down to Daniel Jones no matter who they're playing or not? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll make it real quick so then Joe can add on. I would say absolutely yes because just look at the championship games last year. It was the four best quarterbacks. Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. They were the four best quarterbacks at the end of the season. It wasn't even close. So as good as – and we've seen this before. Great quarterbacks can carry bad teams. Mm-hmm. They have. Because I'll put it this way. As much as some people don't like Aaron Rodgers, when Aaron Rodgers was hurt, Green Bay was like the worst football team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers on the team, they're, they're a Super Bowl team. They're 13-3. and three. So the difference of Aaron Rodgers playing on the Packers and not playing the Packers is being a top 10 pick and being in the Super Bowl. That's the difference of Aaron Rodgers. Now, Daniel Jones is not Aaron Rodgers. We all know that. That's common knowledge. I'm not an idiot. But what I am saying is if Daniel Jones plays to his potential, or at least where we think he is, as you said, Trev, he's got to be at least as good as Dak Prescott. Now, I know a lot of people say that, well, that's not that good. That's pretty good, okay? Dak Prescott is above the the – the Mendoza line, okay? He's in the top 15 quarterbacks. If not, you could put him top 12, maybe even top 10, wherever you want it, depending on how you look at him as a potential player. But that's where he has to be. He can't be the third best quarterback in the in that division. He has to be 1A or 2 for the Giants to be successful. Eli Manning was never the best quarterback, but he was great in the moments when he needed to be, and he was and he was pre- and he was great in the pressure moments. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I will say this, and I'll let Joe do his thing is the Giants, you know, when I was looking at the Giants' schedule, right, bud? So the yeah. Giants have started 0-2 the past four seasons, and they were 0-5-2 of the past four seasons. So I look at the Joe Judge team and the Giants going, you're going to play Denver, you're going to play Washington, and you're going to play Atlanta. Now, you would say, well, Atlanta should be good, but they're still in rebuild mode, new coaching staff. We've owned Washington the past couple of years. And then Denver, depending on Aaron Rodgers. Now, that will change. If Aaron Rodgers is playing, that's a whole different game. But if he's not playing there, the Giants should take care of business and easily start 3-0. So, you know, but it is. You're right. I think if you look at Cleveland, I think if you look at Derrick Henry in Tennessee, I think teams that are uh, run heavy do struggle in this current NFL 
Climate. I think they do. I think it's easy. I think it's easy to load eleven guys in the box and stop Derrick Henry for one game. I think it's a lot. It's easy to win you the playoffs. It, it, that's exactly what that's my point. I mean, that's exactly my point. Regular season games, right? I mean, it, you manage them differently in the postseason. I'll throw 11 guys in the box. Look what they did to Derrick Henry in the postseason. Uh, and, and they bottle him up. So, I, I, my bigger point, Trev, I didn't mean to throw you for a loop on that, that's is right. look, Saquon is, and, and I really do think people are underestimating what the difference maker Saquon Barkley is. Now, money, he's got to stay healthy. And then, and if anybody yeah. wants, well, he's never healthy. I'm fair point. But when he is on the field, he's one of the most dynamic players ever. He's a game changer. So league. yeah, you know, he's going to, he could take them really far, but I mean, even if week in and week out, Jones isn't getting the job done, like on a, on a, on a above average level, he will have to if they're going to win playoff games. Yeah. So it, it's it's incumbent on him that, you know, during this season, there's going to be a lot of Saquon. And Saquon's going to be the MVP of this team, I believe. But Daniel Jones is going to have to elevate his game definitely a level or two. Uh, if the Giants are going to if the Giants are going to make the postseason and do any damage. Let me ask you a question. Does it help or hurt teams? And in, th- in this sense of these teams, or I'm talking not the other higher up teams, like there's a t- there's a tier list like we always have with every sport category, it seems like. You got the great teams in the league. You got the Kansas City Chiefs, Buccaneers, Bills, teams like that. Well, you got the Giants. You got the NFC East as a whole is in that middle of the pack tier. What I'm trying to get at is, is it going to be tougher or easier for these teams now that it, you have this 18-game schedule? It's not going to be 16 games where you have a longer season. Do you think it hurts or helps teams like the Giants or even the Cowboys or the NFC East? I'll just specifically go on the NFC East. How do you feel? Do you feel like it could hurt or help these teams? I, I, I think you would admit the, the Giants certainly uh, would have benefited having one more game last year. That's true. So I would say my immediate thought is that it would this could help the Giants because, again, I think the Giants are going to be – Right there in the middle, again, I think one more game where maybe you win and you're in, as opposed to you win and wait, maybe maybe that does help them. See, so so predictions predictions I've seen so far is the Giants going seven to ten, which is not good enough for the playoffs. It, listen, I'll put it this way: it is going to be weird to see a team nine and eight or ten and seven and not make. You know what? They did that rule right, so Dallas what? doesn't have to go five hundred anymore. <laughs> uh, that's great. That is great. I'll put it this way: I don't like it. In, in, in football, one game extra, I don't like. It, more is not better because what happens is you we, 16 games in the NFL means every game is that much more important. I think when you start adding games, you start diluting the product. Even though, listen, if you had 25 games, we'd all love it. I just think it hurts the, the really good teams because now you have, to, you have to be very careful of how you load management your players, okay? Mm-hmm. You, and then you say, well, listen, you wear a t- the wear a tear on these guys is tremendous, okay? And I love where the Giants buy is. If we're going to stake with the Giants right now for a second, the Giants have a week 10 buy, which is really good. Right then, perfect set. You got the first nine weeks, then you got eight more. So not I think Atlanta has like a week five buy, which is awful. Because then you're playing 12 straight weeks. And if you're in the play, I mean, that's just, I don't like the extra game. The Pats don't have a buy until what, week 14? 
See, that could be good or bad. It could be really good. It could be bad. I don't know if I like the way the, the schedule is set up in the sense of extra game. I'll, the only thing I would say this, if you're a younger team like Jacksonville, where you're not going to make the playoffs, an extra game could be more helpful because it's more reps. It's more You're able to uh, improve on your thing. No, where teams like, I say, Tampa Bay, I don't think the extra game is going to help them. What is an extra game going to help the Bucs? What is going to help Green Bay if Rodgers is there? You know what I mean? Teams that are more veteran, the Chiefs, I think it's more opportunity for one of your better players to get hurt, which, you know, we saw when you lose your two tackles, one tackle at the end of the season and then the other tackle of the week in the conference championship, <laughs> it's going to be really hard to block for your your super, you know, Superman quarterback in Mahomes. And Tampa Bay took advantage of it and won the Super Bowl because I think if both of those guys were healthy – the Super Bowl would have been different. I would say it helps in the sense of what Joe said, because you have teams like the Giants last year and the whole NFC East, which was wide open until week 17, literally. And with the fourth quarter coming into play, it was the NFC East was still up for grabs with one quarter left of the season. And, but it also hurts in the sense of, I'm thinking something else of, um, say you have bad quarterback play, say a team like the Giants, say a team like uh, the Dolphins, who, have Hutua and Daniel Jones. I'll just get a few names, like a team even like Carolina, who um, Sam Darnold doesn't pan out. You have all that time now that you have to play with this quarterback saying, well, this isn't our guy now, so we got to just deal. We got to just almost stick and ride it out with him where you have another nine games. Say, so we've all been saying Daniel Jones is going to have an eight-game window. We're going to see what he's made of with eight games. By Thanksgiving, oh, you'll know if he's a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And if he's not, then you got a whole nother nine games still to play. It's kind of like, damn, we're kind well, of in a position because who, if you're a team like the Giants, who are you starting? Who are you going to start? Um, I mean, I know Joe would love this. Are you going to start Mike Glennon? <laughs> with it. no, with that here. late season here's playoff here. push with Mike Glennon under center, here's you here's never know. Here. Crazier things have happened. You'll let Daniel Jones ride out his course of action and then you'll move on but here's another thing and i'll go back to what joe said before teams like the tennessee titans how do you handle derrick henry having an extra week manage his, his carries you know what i mean how do you how do you manage like a guy like gronk for the buccaneers you know how do you manage brady does brady play in every single game you know he wants to but he just had knee surgery he's still 45 years old i know he looks great and he still looks younger than both all three of us but it's it's a He's it's still 45 years old. He still has to wake up with a 45-year-old body. You know what I mean? Aches and pains, and he's still getting hit on the football field. It's still a grind. So managing your players, because as we've talked about numerous times, the biggest factor, I think, in your success as an NFL team is health. And I know that's probably obvious or stupid or maybe not so. But to me, the healthiest teams is usually the best teams, Okay because you, your best players are playing unless you're just a bad team which it doesn't really matter but still you could be better than you know what i mean if you're a healthy bad team and the good team is on you know hurt how does that play into a factor and and how do the coaches handle all that you know so but i think it's a big it's a big season for a lot of teams as you said trip two and daniel jones i think by no by thanksgiving you'll either know they're the quarterback for next year or they're not my whole point is though is that then you got to have you're in the situation of now you got to deal with them for the next nine weeks and even though you know that guess what they're they're not your guys then you got to just deal with it you're almost like okay we're just going to put them out there like that's just a tough predicament for teams like that i know it's team problems but still those are those are all those are all problems that you're going to have to face now with this new look schedule 
So we'll see what happens, but you don't you don't know how it's going to all play out for teams that are in still kind of a, a tough and a, a bind where the situation is: do we like to or do we like Daniel Jones? There's team that's there's people that like him, there's people that don't. Like there's people that believe in him, but there's other people that are like, ah, we got to see. This is it. So that's where a tough situation comes in when you have an extra game now, because now you just got to wait a whole nother week to deal with that quarterback. That's. Figure by Thanksgiving, Tim, Tim Tebow should be available. <laughs> hey, quick question. You know, it's something we don't ever talk about, but you might see a lot of records go down too. Oh, records? You know, records. Oh, you might yeah, have, no. You might have, you might have a 2,000 yard rusher by week 16 Dude, or 7. You might I have said that. I said that already that, that, because we've done this in baseball the last few years. The Randy Rosarena, you think like, oh, he's the greatest postseason player. He played in like 10 more games than anybody else ever. Of course he broke all the records. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. If Mahomes doesn't throw 60 this year, he'll do it next year. And I mean, yes, every dude, 2000 yard rushers will become a thing now. You're going to start seeing 2000. What has there been? 12 ever? No. Uh, no, like, no. Like, 12. I, like eight, like eight or nine. I think there's eight, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I think there's, way. I think I might be right. I think we've gotten just be there. More guys have done it of late. I'm just saying that's going to become a regular thing. I think that'll become a regular thing. I think receivers catching no. for 2000 yards will happen. There's six. OJ Davis. Dickerson, Jamal Lewis, Jamal Lewis. Davis, OJ Simpson, Eric Dickerson, Chris Johnson, uh, oh, Chris Johnson, Adrian Peterson. Didn't he have eight two thousand? Yeah, he was eight yards short. He was eight yards short of Dickerson. I feel like we're at seven now. Is that seven names? Well, two thousand one. Sorry, eight teams. Eight teams. It's OJ Simpson was the first one in seventy three. Eighty four was Dickerson. Ninety seven Barry Sanders. Ninety eight Terrell Davis. 2003, Jamal Lewis, 2009, Chris Johnson, 2012, Adrian Peterson, and last year, Derrick Henry, 2020, at uh, 2,000 yards. So very likely to add a lot more. Here's the other thing. We know the game is passing, as Joe said. You might have a guy throw for 6,000 yards. You might have you might have multiple 5,000 yards. You might have 60-sign touchdowns. You might have a receiver with 275 receptions. Devontae Adams had 18 receiving touchdowns last year. I believe he missed three games. Or at least, I know he missed at least one or two. He missed two games. So, I mean, add another game. That's three games. I mean, 25 touchdowns. He beats Randy Moss's record for touchdowns in a season. You know, 144 catches is very likely the way his game is. You might have two 100-yard uh, reception guys on a team, depending on – I mean, the numbers are going to be astronomical because that's what the NFL wants. So it should be very interesting, <laughs> say to say the least. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. And and my question is, do those marks get asterisks, or do we just say, hey, listen, it's no different than one hundred sixty-two and one hundred fifty-four baseball games? We just roll with it. Um, they'll they'll never do an asterisk. I they're going to treat it. They're going to treat it like it's. I mean, there's no asterisk on the sixteen-game schedule now from the fourteen. They, they, no one has ever duly noted that all those records that got broken in the 80s was because of the extra game. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will be no different. They haven't done that. And I mean, think about this. Remember in the in the late 90s, Trevor, you were probably too little for this, but Teddy, you probably remember this. In, in the 96, 98, right, 99 postseason, by two, the Yankees 
had broken all of Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra's postseason records. Yeah. I mean, Ber- Bernie, Bernie, Bernie had was uh, I mean, up there, I mean, it was just kind of I mean because they were there every year. And here's the other thing, Back but there the was game, also. Right, there was you won the division and then you you won the World Series. Yeah, and now, that now was then it. You had the, and then ninety five, you added the wild card round. And, yeah, you know what I mean. And then and then you had the division, then you had the championship, and then you went from three games to five games to seven games to seven to seven. Now you got a playing game plus seven. And so, I mean, it's an evolutional, you know, it's it's a rotating system that it's never going to end. So and it's Somebody funny called me racist me. last year because of my objections to Randy Rosarena, and I was like, ah, this could have been anybody. I'm like, the, the fact of the matter is, is Derek Jeter had 20 hits in the postseason in 12 games. He did it in 20 games. He had 24 hits in 20 games. That's a different record. That's a different like that's a different thing altogether. That's like trying to compare Roger Clemens' career or Greg Maddox to Cy Young. Those were different. That guy pitched 8 million more games. Of course he has more wins. I mean, Who would you rather have pitching, Cy Young or Greg Maddox? I mean, even Michael Kay was talking about before about Yankees. Now starting pitchers get, what, 30 to 34 total starts? Yeah. <laughs> there was a, what's the guy? I forgot, I can't remember. He went 30 and 4. He had like 30 wins. I mean, at 40, 50 starts. He pitched every three days. I mean, it's a whole different era of baseball. Plus relievers. How about that? You never. I mean, back in the day, you had starter, one guy, and a, and a closer. Now, I mean, so the game has tremendously changed in, in that sense. So, well, so well, since we're on the topic, let's shift over to the diamond right now. And let's talk about the most consistent and the most important and the best player on the New York Yankees. And that is Garrett Cole. He's been every everything worth every of that three hundred and. $24 million contract, I believe it was. I mean, I might be, I might be a million off, but still, it's well over 300 and something million. It's a, it's ridiculous. But guess what? He's been the 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 lone bright spot, bright spot, it seems like, throughout this early on season. I know the Yankees are starting to heat up. They're going on. They've won every series since April 18th. They haven't lost a series. They're starting to hit the ball. The pitching has been well, other than Jameson Tyon, which has been – He's been a struggle at times, but has Garrett Cole. We always talk about Jacob DeGrom. We talked about Kershaw back in the day, Max Scherzer. Well, this guy, Garrett Cole, has been probably the most consistent and with record-wise, strikeout-wise, probably the most, probably the best and most dominant pitcher since even when he was with the Astros. When he got traded to the Astros and he had that amazing season and he didn't win the Cy Young because of Justin Verlander, he's been on a groove and a rhythm since then. Has Garrett Cole and has emerged as the best pitcher in baseball. Joe, I'll start with you. Well, I said it uh, a few weeks ago that I thought that was the case. And uh, obviously, DeGrom getting a little banged up, that certainly has helped. But, yeah, you're right. This is the one guy who's gone out there each and every start, and he's done his job, and he's done it really well. And that's all you could ask for. Um, I've thought for the last three years that Garrett Cole was the best pitcher in baseball. Um, he does all the same things Jacob DeGrom does, but he gets W's next to his name when the game's over. It's insane. It's, it's like you can strike out 14 guys and get a win in the same game. I, I honestly thought it was impossible. And for the record, the guy that's got more multi strikeout, more 10 or more strikeout games over the last two years, um, actually the last three years since 2019 is not Jacob DeGrom. 
He actually trails even Max Scherzer on the list. Garrett Cole is far and away the guy that's done that the most times. So he is the most dominant pitcher in baseball on the most dominant team, the most dominant franchise in the history of the sport. It's a beautiful thing. Everybody should be happy that the best pitcher in baseball is a Yankee. Let me uh, let me give you a stat before I let Ted go. So we were just talking about Nolan Ryan and stuff like that. Well, he's the greatest strikeout pitcher of all time, correct? Well, he had eight games in his career where he struck out at least 10 batters and issued no walks. Garrett Cole this year alone has five of those. So just to put into perspective, the dominance that we are seeing right now, Bart, a, a number one ace, a team that has desperately wanted and needed a, an ace, they got their ace. It just puts into perspective the dominance and the consistency that Garrett Cole has shown for the past three years now. It's not even when he was with the Yankees. Last year, he was great with the Yankees. This year, he's he's been lights out. But even when he was with the Astros, he has emerged and his consistency has, has elevated his game to where he once was as a pirate where people thought he was one of the top prospects, and he was. He was a solid pitcher. But when he went to Houston, his game changed drastically. His movement, his slider, his fastball, his everything he's done has been everything Yankee fans were hoping when the day or the night, I should say, they officially signed him. Ted, would you say, I know how we feel sometimes. We always go back and forth with Joe. We've had serious conversations about this, serious arguments on these shows for the past couple of years about Jacob DeGrom. But has Garrett Cole, in your mind, emerged as the best pitcher, not only in New York, but the best pitcher in baseball? I mean, you're splitting hairs between either guy, to be honest with you. I, I think if I had to pitch game one or game seven in the, in the, in the World Series, I'm taking Cole. But I'd still probably take DeGrom during the regular season and maybe start game one. I I just think he's so filthy when he's on. You know, I was thinking about it last night. I wanted to take a video of it, Joe. I didn't get a chance. They were talking about on the Yankee broadcast about Cole, right? You know, how dominant he was on Wednesday night. And they're yeah. saying how poorly the Yankees hit when he's pitching. But it's always been a thing. If you really truly watch baseball, when aces pitch, teams struggle to score against the other race. Most of the time, it's ace versus ace when the matches matchups come up. So, so the Yankees struggle to score runs for Cole. They sh they score less runs for Cole than any other pitcher on the team. It's 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 incredible. He's, now he has five wins. I'm just I was looking at his things before. He has five wins. ERA is 1.37. Only the Grom's got better. He's got 78 Ks. I mean, he's been phenomenal. This is the reason why. When stupid Yankee fans on stupid Twitter go, oh, my God, you gave him nine years. This is why you pay nine years and you give him $324 million. We're not worried about seven, eight, and nine. I know he's not going to throw 99 miles an hour in year eight or nine. Not worried about it. I'm worried about him now. This is why you pay what you pay for him because he is that good. There is, other than Degrom, there is no one in baseball that's even close to these two guys. I truly believe that. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, we had a good season, but Kershaw's not the same guy. You know, whoever else you want to bring into the category. I, you, I wouldn't take. Yeah, I wouldn't take anybody else over those two. I don't know if we're all in agreement with that, but I wouldn't take anybody else over Degrom or Cole right now. And so, you know. To back up my stat, Garrett Cole, to speak of the volume of how great he's been, he's got 172 games in 20 games with the New York Yankees. He ties Ron Guidry in 1978 for the most Ks in any 20-game span. Ron Guidry was, was lightning. He is a lightning, baby. And, and, I mean, you want to think about Cole's numbers right now. 5-1, and 1.37, 52 and two-thirds innings, 33 hits, not bad, so literally less than a hit almost every two innings. He's got three walks. 
in 52 innings with 78 strikeouts, and his whip is .68. He's second in the major leagues, only behind DeGrom at .06. But, I mean, your split here is between the two guys. The two best pitchers are in New York, all right? The only thing is well, the Mets, well, let the me, Mets are not going to win games for may I, may I just May I just tip the scales ever so slightly in Garrett Cole's favor? Garrett Cole faces nine major league baseball hitters when he pitches. Jacob DeGrom pitches to eight. And to me, that that is a notable difference. Yeah. And I and I and I think it should be acknowledged that you you don't get the luxury of an easy out every every time through the lineup. That's kind of ridiculous. But no, I no, I I, listen, I mean that's that could be an extra three K's a game. Absolutely. And it probably is if he's doing his job right. I got another stat for you for Garrett Cole. So Cole has now struck out 56 batters since issuing his last walk, which was on April 12th, by the way. That's tied with Kurt Schilling's run in 2002 when Schilling was incredible for the longest stretch since the mound was moved to its current distance back in good old 1893. So Garrett Cole's stats just keep proving that either – look. Now He's a warrior. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. has to realize, though, when playoff time comes, if you have a choice to go to the bullpen or keep it in for another batter, you get the bullpen warmed up, get the car revved up like it's cold outside, but you let, you let the Ferrari keep going, okay? I mean, we saw he, what he did. I'd rather lose. I'd rather have a guy get a hit or something off of him than bring in a guy – who, uh, listen, I know Green is great, and I know Wise is great, and this guy, they're not Garrett Cole. I'd rather lose with Garrett Cole because I watched him the other night, and I know, Joe, you can't see the game, and Trev, you probably didn't watch the game. The last three innings, Tampa couldn't touch him. It wasn't even close. He was looking right through them and just throw. He started the game off throwing 95, 96. His last pitch was 99 miles an hour, and it wasn't even close. They, he's white he mouth, fireball, pit bull. I want the ball, and I'm going to win every time. That's the one thing I love about him is, Joe, he remind, reminds me of an old-school pitcher of just give me the ball, and there's nothing going to stop me. Trevor Simmons, I'll use it as a running back. Give me the ball, and I'm going to score. You know yeah. what I mean? There, there's no. not a person on the field that's going to attack me. I will get that one yard. I will get that out. So no, I, was gonna, I, I, was... I love everything about Garrett Cole, and I'm and I'm so happy that the Yankees gave him an extra year and $324 million. Because Mike Trout probably would have had him, and then Mike Trout maybe be recognizable. But no, what I was going to say is about Garrett Cole is even since last year when he was when he had that game five against Tampa Bay and the, and he was lights out for majority of the game and they took him out early. He's been on, it seems like I know he's got that one loss, but he's been nearly unstoppable as a Yankee pitcher since being with the Yanks. And even this year, he's been nearly unstoppable and unhittable. And it's just, it adds to the point of how lucky we should be as Yankee fans and even Met fans to have two dominant pitchers like that will go down as all time greats. No matter what people want to say, these are who will go down as two all time greats and it's playing in the biggest um, state, or I should say the most well-known teams in baseball, with the exception of the Dodgers, it's New York. And those two are flourishing right now. It's unfortunate to see that the Grom is out because you don't want to see anybody get hurt in any sport. I don't care what team it is. You don't want to see somebody get hurt. And especially when you have an all-time great like DeGrom, DeGrom right now, you want to see DeGrom and Cole just kind of like 
bam, bam. Oh yeah, you could do this. Well, guess what? I can do that. And I can do anything you could do, but I can do it better. And that's what it's kind of feels like right now between these two. It's like, well, you did well. You had your 15Ks, uh, DeGrom. Well, guess what? I'm going to go throw eight innings, no no walks, 12Ks against a race team who the Yankees, let's be honest, have struggled for some time now. And the Yankees finally go into trop, the trop and take care of business. I know they lost yesterday, but the Yankees overall have been playing well. And Garrett Cole has been one of the main reasons why that pitching staff has been very has been impressive so far for the New York Yankees. Anybody want to say anything? Oh, I thought Joe. I thought Joe had something. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, well, I, I was gonna I just wanted to look something up real quick. You know, I mean, uh, imagine a scenario in the All Star game where it's Degrom and Cole starting the game, and I was just wondering if a Yankee and a Met have ever faced off as the starters in an All Star game, and I feel like it happened once. I want to say Al Leiter, Roger Clemens, something like that, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, but I, like, you're, you're like exactly right. Like 2001, probably because the Mets or Yankees World Series or somewhere around there. Yeah, it feels like th- I, I feel like it happened once. I, I do, and and I just and I couldn't find anything. Uh, that's what I looked to try to for a minute. But it, to me, look, you're you're exactly right. And you know how I feel about Degrom, and I and I give him our time. I I understand he's a great pitcher and how dominant he is. Yeah. Um. And I and I I don't like to see the guy out because he's barely going to win ten games. And any starts he misses, we're talking a Cy Young Award winner with what now eight wins? Good, I guess so. We'll just do it anyway. That's just um, such an unfortunate thing that like you can imagine pitching so good. Well, I mean, and I'll use a perfect example. You guys probably didn't see it, but maybe you guys saw last week or the I think it was early in the week, Monday or Tuesday. Otani, he had given up like one run against the Astros, pitched like seven and two thirds inning with like ten Ks. Madden moved him to the right field. The bullpen came out and gave up three runs. I mean, he's freaking. He's I mean, freaking, I mean, I mean. See, like Joe, that's what the, that's the point when we used to argue. I'm like, so Otani pitches seven and two thirds, right? And now you know they're not going to let him pitch 150 pitches. The bullpen comes in. You got the lead or a tie game on one. He pitches phenomenal. Bullpen comes up, gives up three runs. Now you'd be like, well, whose fault is that? It's not Otani's fault it's because the gar the bullpen's garbage. I and I wonder, like, and I'll use that metaphor with Degrom, like. Just because Degrom doesn't go nine innings every game, it shouldn't be his fault. But I mean, it's it's a team game. Listen, at the end of the day, it's a team game. Pitchers are supposed to pitch, hitters are supposed to hit. You know, and you're supposed to field and do your job. It's just unfortunate guys who pitch. I know as a pitcher, I'd be so frustrated to consistently pitch lights out for seven, eight innings, and lose and lose or not get a decision. You also pointed out, you know, I mean, he's the ace and he's facing their ace, and so I mean. Bottom line is, is he does he does get out dueled sometimes. Sometimes he does give up a run or two, and the other guy's given up zero or one, and that is his fault, and that is on him. So you know, I know he certainly lost a lot of leads, but he's also left trailing by a run. Uh, so you know, he yeah, he's I mean, he's I human. He's a, he's a great pitcher. I also know, I mean, we've been talking about this for a few years, the fact that when he pitches that the Mets obviously either don't score or, again, the bullpen uh, in impressive fashion tends to blow it. I was talking to a Mets fan recently, and I said to her, is it possible that there's – I don't watch his starts enough to know. You do. Maybe you could tell me. Is is playing behind – is he just putting everybody to sleep? Does he just drain the – I mean, is – is striking everybody out. Does that just take everybody out of the game? 
They get into the dugout and and there's no no. I don't know. I'm just saying. I would say it's no, been going on for years now yeah, where they don't score for him. What's the difference between a perfect game and a no hitter? I mean, and, and what's your and your scenario where there's no one running? You're just striking out guys and guys are just okay. That's it. I mean, what, what would be the difference? What's the difference when Kerry Wood threw 20 Ks? Are you not are you not like still into the game? You know what I mean? I'm just trying to think of other scenarios where it's like, how could you be? You got to be ready, <laughs> even though you know nine out of ten times a guy's not going to get a hit. Absolutely, but it seems to me that team runs off the field and back into the dugout after another inning of probably barely moving, and they 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 just they seem flat when he's pitching. They just don't. The bats never seem to come to life when he's pitching. They never do anything late in his starts. I where you're like, that. yeah, man. I would just love to know how many games he's left with the lead in the past three years and has not got either a no decision or lost the game. And probably more likely not no decision because he's probably leading with the lead, so you wouldn't lose the game. It'd be the bullpen who blew it, blew it. But I'd like to know how many games he's left with the lead and hasn't finished with a win in the last three years. Just I'm just saying four years in, I mean, maybe it's time to explore – what the deal is like what is what is happening when he's on the mound that this team just doesn't they don't seem to be in the game again you got this great pitching performance and you bring in your best reliever and he blows it and it's like what's the vibe in that dugout dude i watched what's the, the vibe you guys you would think with the grom on the mound the confidence would be through the roof that everybody well, would come in feeling all this is our game instead they all come in and it's like Within seconds, the lead is gone, and you're like, what just happened? I would bet How does that, that always happen in his starts? I would bet if DeGrom pitched for the Yankees, he'd have an extra five wins a year just because of how good the Yankees' bullpen is. I don't I – I, 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 you know you know, I won't let that fly. You know I won't let you say that no, because no, – he he, Look, game no, over. I, 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 I disagree. Listen, CC Sabathia came off one of the most impressive runs with the Brewers when he went and signed with the Yankees. And when the Yankees were scoring six runs a game, I mean, dude, he, you don't have to pitch like King Felix when you're getting six runs a game. Yeah, but that's two thousand nine. CC's ERA his first year with the Yankees, a solid three two one. That was the number three point two one. Won nineteen games his first year with the Yankees, and he was punished in the Cy Young voting because the fourteen win King Felix had a lower WHIP and ERA, and, and it's like. We we were we were pitching in different scenarios here. CC in the fourth innings up five nothing. Well, he's not he's not he's just throwing fastballs, and he gave up a couple of solos in the game. He went seven. I, I know. So I know he's, what you're, he's, I know what you're so saying. No, wait, you're punishing CC for pitching to the scoreboard as he should, pitching the contact and not trying to strike everybody out. I know what Joe's saying. When you when you put, when you're up six to nothing, you can pitch a lot more easy. When you're up one nothing, you every pitch has to matter. You know, like you said, Joe, you're right. CC's getting six runs a game. You can throw a fastball down and play if he hits it for a home run. So be it. No big thing. You're still up six one. You know what I mean? But I think it puts a lot more it puts a lot more pressure on the offense to you know score. Absolutely. I just think in in that again, when people bring up these hypotheticals, I'm like, well, when CC got to the Yankees, you could have made the argument having had won 14 of his 17 starts in Milwaukee, he'll win 30 games for the Yankees. And he, he, won, he won 20 once. So, again, that idea that if this guy's in this situation, it'll be better. 
again, I think something, I think Jacob deGrom is so boring on the mound and maybe in such an impressively uh, spectacular way that it has a negative effect on the team. It's but it's I'm just saying it's been four years if this guy doesn't get the win because they blow the game. The well, first I, year it's like, all right, hard luck loser. <laughs> Second year, I've been like, all right, come on. Third year, you guys are like, he's great. And I'm like, is, is there not something wrong? Fourth year now we're into this. But I mean, like, and, I'm, and I'm asking the question, why is it when this guy's on the mound? The Mets just don't seem to be that into the game. Because Zach Britton's not coming in the eighth and Chapman's not coming in the ninth. They got some guy from Seattle who they paid big money for in a trade and can't throw a strike. Edwin Diaz had 51 saves the year before they picked him up. One of the best closers in the game. So again, again, my question is, what is it about Jacob deGrom that when everybody gets into the game, they all suck? It's like... It's like he's got some special thing where he just takes everyone's talent, goes into him, and as soon as he leaves, they're screwed. I don't know what it is. It it blows my mind, but this is now four years. We're at the year what a great pitcher he is, and they don't ever get wins. Joe, let me say this. Hold on, because I haven't spoken in a while, so I'm going to say one quick thing about Jacob DeGrom. So his two losses that he's had recently. Anybody knows that? You want to know how many total runs the New York Mets had for him? I would say probably zero. Yes, zero. I believe it. Zero freaking runs with him. Like I, I'm not, I'm not arguing because like Garrett Cole, we saw his one loss. I think they what they lose like two one or something. His one loss that he had this year, there was no run support from it for from the Yankees. When you have a team like the Yankees and Mets, and I'm, I want to just close it out with this. There's no reason for not having no runs. There's just no reason for it. The whole league is hitting. The Mets, yeah, I know the whole league is, and maybe that's because of the balls that are not—they're not juiced balls anymore, like they were last year, where home runs. Batting averages at a league low, oh, two thirty-four as an average. Team I'm going to talk about the Yankees and Mets quickly because they are very ta- they have talented offenses. We know the Yankees offense is one of the best in the game. The Mets add some players like Lindor, and they have—they've already had a solid lineup. There's no reason that they can't give me a freaking run when your ace is pitching. In two of his his two losses, or I I think he has like two losses this year, but in his two previous losses, his run support is that as as a combined zero runs. That's a problem for me. Anytime we see that, that was like with with Kershaw back in the day. You saw it with Scherzer at times. Now you're seeing it with DeGrom, and you've seen this at times with Cole too. It's just frustrating to see when you have dominant pitchers taking control of games, but your offenses just don't want to show up and can't even give you one run support. It's, it's just blasphemy. It just blows my mind. That's all I'm going to say. You know what blows my mind too, and I'm not getting into it, is the Yankees. They're all vaccinated, but yet they still have all having COVID issues. I don't understand it. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Waver's the eighth guy on the Yankees. I just don't get it. I just don't get this. I was literally reading a report as you guys were talking. Two and a half, it's been freaking – Never mind. I'm not getting into it because it's just Waver Torres eight. It's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of uh, hoochie mama. Just a bunch well, here's, of, here's, as the great Cosmo Kramer once said, hoochie mama. Well, here's the thing, and this is real, and this is the realistic thing. Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't get it. See, here's the thing: baseball, Major League Baseball, and the new and the teams get tested daily, every single day. So yeah. I'll use my me example. I'm vaccinated, right? If I got oh, tested, if, if I got t- if I got tested daily, there'd be an opportunity. Maybe I would have COVID, but you would never know because you don't get tested. 
You know what I mean? I don't get tested daily. Now, if I start get, feeling symptoms, I start losing taste, or, you know, I can blame it on allergies because people have really bad allergies. It's really dry up here right now. Joe, you know, if you're an allergy guy, you have, there's issues. You're like, I'm <laughs> I can't cough. It's allergy, but you could have COVID. You don't really know. When you get tested every day, there's a likelihood of getting it. Now, it is strange that the Yankees are going through this considering majority of the team, I believe, not the whole team, but more than 85% of the team is vaccinated. Now, they did get the Johnson & Johnson shot, so I don't know what that means. Um, that's the one I got. That's the one That's the one shot. I got the Pfizer one, so uh, both of them. I, I'm good. I mean, crap, I was cutting the wall yesterday, shooting baskets. You know, I was good, so I haven't had any side effects. But, you know, listen, at the end of the day, it's vaccinations is not a permanent solution, but it's, it's, a, it's a helper. That if you do get it, you beat it. It's just unfortunate because Glaber did get it in December too. So this is the second time within six months that he's received COVID. Um, let's just hope this doesn't become a thing for the Yankees because the Major League Baseball is investigating them to make sure it's not going to be a widespread thing considering they're traveling. Because you know, God forbid, you know, you go to a locker room, another team, get you know, it would throw the whole Yankees off too, and we know that. You know, we dealt with that last year. You don't want that, especially this year. It would throw throw everything off. And I think they would, they would probably have to make up the games or play doubleheaders. So, you know, we don't need that right now. We're actually playing really good baseball. I know we didn't talk about it, but the Yankees have won like the last five series in a row. So it, yeah, they're playing good baseball. And it's funny how a month ago when we were like, this team is awful, the first seven games. Not awful, but they are playing I mean, better. They, they are winning games. Well, listen, there's an expectation as a Yankee fan that we are supposed to win every game. And, and that's how I feel. I did say this team was too good and that everybody wasn't going to hit 160 all year. Now, apparently Clint Frazier took that as a challenge as did Aaron Hicks, <laughs> but you know, wait, again, wait, wait, I, what did I, did I? Well, let's, you know what? Maybe let's just have the conversation. Let's talk about the Yankees catching problem because it's a big one. And it extends beyond Gary Sanchez. Absolutely. For everybody who was dying for Kyle Agasioka to take over, are we impressed? We're not. Um, he does a nice job catching. We know he's a better defensive catcher, and that's why he's playing more games. But now he's batting 234. And um, he's got less at-bats and games played than Gary. So once they get caught up, if you're looking at the trajectory, um, it's not good. Uh, Gary's actually got a much higher on-base percentage because Gary, as bad as he's been, has 15 walks. Gary's shown a really good eye this year. Uh, as far as uh, at batcher concerned. But to me, the problem isn't the hitting because neither guy's really doing it. Both guys have some pop. The better catcher is Kyle Agasioka. Because the defense. I've heard people 100%. But I tell you, Sanchez made a great play the other night in Tampa when that ball ricocheted off the back of the wall. I mean, it was a cannon. Bang! Doesn't it seem like with less playing time, Gary's actually playing a little bit better? Again, I know the batting average is terrible. His on-base percentage, I think it's like a 381. I mean, he's he's getting on base, again, by virtue of the walks. And to me, that's showing a better eye and more patience at the plate. He got rid of the stupid steppy step that he does, mm -hmm. trying to keep the swing a little more compact, a little less movement. And this is what I said when they said Agassio was going to take over. Gary's got to start delivering. Two for three with a walk in his last start. That's what I'm talking about. If he's going to play twice a week, you better get a couple of hits and a walk. You better not make any bonehead plays. He can work his way back into a starting position because, and as I've been saying for two years, 
Kyle Agasioka is not a starting catcher in Major League Baseball. And yes, the Yankees should have gone after JT Rimalto no, well, or James McCann. No, he's hurt. I, I mean, in theory, yeah, that, oh, it I would have been the smarter move. I, I mean, we were all hopeful Gary was going to figure it out. He's not going to. It's pretty obvious at this point. And the catching is so problematic that it does make Kagasioka the preferred starter. And I don't know if I, I I don't know what hope there is for Gary, but as far as getting rid of Gary Sanchez, for what? For Robinson Chirinos? I know that's the hot thing Yankee fans are on, and it's like, guys, stop it. Yeah, we don't need now, now we just want to load up on catchers that can't hit at all. That's our plan. Give listen, me a break. At the end of the day, you really won't need to. As long as you listen, as long as Gary can maintain his defensive catching ability, he's going to get two starts a game, and and Higgy's going to get three. So he'll get three out of five. All right. At the end of the day, that's fine. You're going to get Severino back later in June. He's already throwing off what ninety feet away on flat ground. So that's a positive thing. You keep them both. All right. And and you and you just work the matchups. And if you can always bring Gary off the bench if you need to. You know what I mean? Or or you start Gary and you can always bring Higgy off the bench later on if you want to get defensive. You know, if well, you were again, the idea that Gary's drawing walks and showing patience at the plate, even though his playing time is limited, tells me that this could be a guy, Teddy, like you said, you could bring off the bench because he's not gonna go out there and take, you know, take the first pitch and then swing it two sliders eight feet off the plate. He seems a little more focused now when he's out there hitting, and the defense is n- hasn't been good at all. Um, but I mean, we've been, we've been again, years, he so. could become a valuable bat again, even if he just pinch hits, draws a walk, and then somebody pinch runs. Um, if he's nothing more than just a guy people want to pitch around late as not to challenge him, could only be helpful. But he's got to produce in the few games that he's going to be catching, and so far, even that's worked out. The Yankees got to figure out their COVID issues, but they're playing well. They're going into Baltimore this weekend, so let's see if they can take care of business as they've been taking care of Baltimore for quite some time now. We'll see how it goes. We also got the NBA playoffs starting next week, so we'll be talking about that. And also the NBA Hall of Fame is this week in Springfield, so shout out to Tim Duncan, KG, and the late Kobe Bryant, three of the all-time greats, especially in our area, and in in the history of the NBA. Well-deserving Mike Breen, Michael Wilbon, all those guys. Well respected to all and, uh, Kim, uh, Kim all Markey, the new, the new LSU coach. Oh, Kim Mocha, yes. So Kim all Mark. legends at what they do. And well, big congratulations. So we'll see how the Yankees go. We'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers because you know that's what they've been talking about. And we'll see what happens with the Yankees. We'll do some NBA talk. I promise you. We haven't talked NBA, but we will get to NBA. Well, the end of the season this weekend, so. Yeah, well, we got to talk about it. We have to because yeah, we are, if you look at our logo, we have basketball right here. We got to get basketball. So we're doing two or three. So we got to get to full. We got to get to 99%. Wake up. Oh, you I'm You got to go do a lot of things. No. <laughs> Ted's always looking forward when he's ending, right, Ted? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, everybody, we are, we are Keys to the City. We're streaming on all social media platforms. So subscribe, comment, share, and like. Clovercrest Media presents Keys to the City. We. All right. Yeah. Keys to the city, baby. When you see us, so you know you really viewing greatness in the making. 
Double up on facts we stating. Podcasting, cruise control, city, state, the nation. So what you saying? What we saying? Prime information. Facts, keys to the city. We're locking the statements. Streaming every Friday.